study, as it were, on this letter to the Corinthian church. Um, and if we should have some slides appearing any minute now. And the title which we've given to this series is The Gospel Answers Human Problems. Uh, throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul deals with a number of issues which have cropped up within the Corinthian church. The first is church divisions, and through chapters one and four, he deals with this. And then in chapters five to seven, he deals with sexual immorality, which is within the church. And then chapters eight to 10, he deals with issues of conscience. Uh, there's not enough sensitivity towards one another. And then chapters 11 to 14, he talks about the gathering of God's people and sets a few things right in the minds of the people of Corinth. And in chapter 15, he spells out for them how important the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And in the final chapter, chapter 16, he gives some greetings to some particular Christians there. We move on to the next slide. <clears throat> Last week, Chris, one of the deacons here, was preaching through verses 6 to 16 on chapter 2 of this letter. And he titled it, Unparalleled Wisdom speaking about spiritual wisdom, the mystery that it is, but we, and the recognizing that this wisdom which God imparts to his people, it's timeless, it's measureless, it's fathomless, it doesn't change, it remains the same, and it holds us steady within our faith, those who have this spiritual wisdom. This wisdom has been revealed to us. It's deep, it's personal, it gives us a knowledge which this world cannot enter into. This is something which we have received by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have been given access to it. We can assess things in a way that this world cannot assess them. We begin to know our God in a different way. Verse 16, it says this, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We get to see, as it were, darkly at the minute, as it were, looking in a mirror dimly, we get to see something of God because of the salvation which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we approach chapter three of this great letter. And the title that I've given to this sermon is Carnality. We move on to the next one, Carnality. Now this is not a a word which you will use probably tomorrow or the rest of this week or probably for the rest of this year. It's not a word that you find very often in use today, but effectively what it means is just the opposite of spiritual. It's just saying you're, you're concentrating on the things here and now, on the six inches in front of your face. You're worried about the things on this planet, not worrying about the spiritual things, not concerned about the things which matter most. That is the condition of your soul. It's not to say that we don't think about the here and now, that we don't concern ourselves with the here and now. Of course we do. You've just not long heard me pray for a number of situations that are going on in this world. We do concern ourselves in them, but we come at them from a spiritual perspective. We don't come at them as the, as the way the world, as the carnal world does. We look at them through spiritual eyes. We look at them with spiritual wisdom, unparalleled wisdom. But just as Paul has just described this beautiful wisdom, this spiritual wisdom which the Christian has, he then turns his attention 
to the Corinthian church, and he makes things very clear to them that they are carnal. They're not thinking spiritually. They are thinking carnally. And we've got three points that hopefully will illustrate this well. They are still fledglings. They are small in the faith. They are not spiritual giants by any stretch, although some of them had delusions of such. They're small children in the faith. They're still fledglings. Solid food. Paul can't give them the solid food of the word of God because of the fact that they are not ready for it. They're not mature enough for it. And they are still fleshy. And Paul gives us an idea or gives us more detail as to the problems of the division within the Corinthian church as a result of these verses. So this is what we're going to be dealing with this morning, carnality, the lack of spirituality, being worried about the things of this world and not concerning ourselves with the spiritual. And we're going to see the danger of that. We, let's launch into it. So our first point this morning, still fledglings, still fledglings. And I, brethren, could not speak to you, verse 1 of chapter 3, as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, one of the important things that I need to say right out the gate is that Paul is not saying to them, you are not Christians. He is not saying to them, he's not doubting their salvation. He is saying to them, you are Christians, the Spirit is is within you, but you are still fledglings, you're small children in the faith. You haven't grown. There's been a number of years since Paul was in Corinth to the writing of this letter. And he's saying, you haven't grown any. You're still small children. You're not, you're not achieving what you need to be achieving in the spiritual world. You're still thinking carnally. And he says this, my brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people. The Apostle Paul is saying here, look, there's things I want to tell you. I just can't tell you. I can't speak to you like I would with other Christians, with other people that are spiritual. You're not ready for it. You can't do it. Paul writes some incredible letters in the Bible. (coughs) And he writes some incredibly deep things within Scripture. You look at the letter to the Ephesian church. There's some beautifully deep truths which Paul explains to that church. And he's able to show them some wonderful things. You look at the church at Rome and some of the things that Paul is able to explain to them, beautiful, deep truths. But he says to the Corinthian church, I can't do that with you. I can't speak spiritual, deep truths to you because you're still carnal. You're still fledglings. You're still small children in Christ. And he goes on to say this, could not speak to you as to spiritual peoples. Now let me make it very clear in your minds this morning what it is to be, to be a spiritual person, what it is to be a Christian, so to speak. Well, in Romans chapter 7, another letter which Paul wrote to the church at Rome, <coughs> you've got these two chapters, chapters 7 and 8. In fact, the whole of Romans is just phenomenal, but these chapters in particular really stand out as being really beautiful chapters within that letter. And what Paul does in these chapters is he just makes it so obvious what it is a Christian is. And he explains to them in verse 14 of Romans chapter 7, 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He's explaining to the the people at Rome, you know, there, there was a time where I realized that there's this law, this law which belongs to God. It is spiritual. And what it does, it makes it obvious to me that I am carnal, that I'm more concerned with the things in here and this. I am sold under sin. He goes on to say, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. He says, I I recognize this because the law of God has made it obvious to me that there's certain good things that I desire to do, I just can't do them. And there's certain bad things that I want to avoid doing, but I end up doing them. It drives them nuts. What hope have I got here? The things I want to do, can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And this is the law. He sees this, verse 16, if then I do what I will not do. I agree with the law that it is good. That what the law of God is telling me, it makes sense. I have fallen short of the law of God. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. And this is what the gospel does. It spells this out very clearly that when you become a Christian, the scales fall off your eyes. You see the law of God. You see how far you have fallen short of that law. Let's come down to verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He says, as a Christian, there's this war that's happening within me. I recognize now this problem of sin, and there's this war that's happening, and I'm losing, and I can't win this fight. This is a law, I recognize this, I agree with this. And then he says these words in verse 24, and I and any Christian here should be able to say with them, say with the Apostle Paul, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind I I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Spiritually, he's been awakened. Spiritually, he realizes he's fallen short of of the law. Spiritually, he knows he has no hope of achieving God's standard, his law. And he gets to that place where he says, oh, wretched man that I am. But in steps the Lord Jesus Christ. I have fulfilled the law. I have kept it perfectly. And the righteousness and my perfection I hand over to you and now you can dwell in this. And this is why when you get to chapter eight, you can say with the apostle Paul, there is now no, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
And that is the Lord of the Christian. It's been, you've been made alive. You're now free. But the church at Corinth, they knew this. They understood this. There was a time, no doubt, that as Paul explained all this to them, and as they saw the spiritual, they saw the scales fall off their spiritual eyes, and they were able to see the law of God for what it was, to see the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ who has fulfilled that has made a way of salvation possible for them. They recognized this. But as the years have rolled on, they've decided, well, this, 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 this could be improved. We can, we, can, we can make this a bit better, actually. We can bring in what's going on in Athens, the philosophies that we hear over there. They don't consider the unparalleled wisdom of God. They begin to think carnally. They start to think about the philosophies of the day of Epicureanism and Stoicism, like I mentioned the last time I was preaching. And they try to bring this into the word of God. Begin to divide the apostles and, and the preachers and teachers. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, I am of Christ. Become carnal in their thinking, not spiritual. They remain small as to babes in Christ. They do not grow. And this brings us to our second point this morning solid food. One of the things which we all expect as you're bringing up children, I'm in this particular point in my life where I've got two children, one, 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 three, and there's a difference between the two of them. One is one years old, she's growing, she's getting bigger, but she's not the same size as Josiah. Josiah's growing, he's a bit bigger. He can speak a little bit more clearly, he understands things a little bit better, not as much as I'd like him to, he keeps disobeying me, but you know, we'll get there. Hopefully. But there's a difference. There's a maturity going on there. My niece, Riley Jane, last time I was up in Scotland, just last weekend, she's just starting on solid foods. Makes a right mess. And it makes a, quite a difference in the nappy situation as well when all that starts to kick off. But there's what we expect is that as they enjoy the solid food, as they begin to grow, because of the food and the sustenance that they have, they become bigger, they become more mature. And it's very obvious. But one of the things that we expect within the Christian life, and we're all guilty of it, is that the longer you are in the Christian faith, the older you are, as it were, in the Christian faith, just by definition, you're gonna become more spiritual. You might be 10 years a Christian, 15 years a Christian, 20 years, 50 years. You might even match the queen in terms of your service to God, her service to the, to the nation, 70 years a Christian. But the reality is you can be a Christian as long as you want to be and not grow. You can be as Christian as long as you want to be and not grow. And all you'd stick on is the milk. Now the milk is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Milk is phenomenal. One of the incredible things about bringing up a child is you learn all sorts of things. And I didn't appreciate how amazing breast milk was. Now, I've not necessarily tried it, don't, don't get me wrong, but just the properties of it and how it helps children. I mean, I, I watched a, 
an advert, not deliberately, it was just um, because I have kids, it keeps popping up on YouTube every time I'm watching anything. It's really annoying. But an advert for formula milk. And they actually qualify everything they say by saying, this isn't the best, this is second, you know, if you can do it, breast, breast milk is best. That's always, that's always the way they point. But if that doesn't work, then here's some formula. And all the scientists and all the great minds, we can't match what a mother can produce for our children. It's incredible. And the milk of the Christian faith is amazing. It is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see that is the milk of Christianity. It is incredible. It's amazing. That's not all it is. And every now and again, a fledgling Christian who's not growing, who's remained a babe, as it were, a baby. Or they'll get a thrill every now and again as someone preaches the gospel and they'll remember all oh, my salvation. Remember that time when I, when I really was, when I realized my sin, the scales fell off and I saw the law of God. But that's it. They don't move further. They don't, don't move forward. They remain carnal. And there's a question mark that ends up getting placed upon them because everybody's worried, thinking, are they, aren't they? What's going on? Yeah, we, we, we remember what happened on that day and we remember their baptism, but it's just, it's just are they growing? Are they growing in their faith? Are they becoming spiritual people? And this is the main course, brothers and sisters. You have the milk of Christianity. It's beautiful, it's amazing, it's wonderful. And we never, ever get away from that. But the main course, brothers and sisters, brings us into a deeper relationship with our Savior. One of the things that I hear quite often, and I believe it's more a case of ignorance than a place of genuine concern, but quite often... I've heard people say, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not sure what God's will is for my life. I'm just not sure what the will of God is. And my job, and the relationships that I have, and the things that I do. Well, let me introduce you to the will of God. It's the Bible. Let me introduce you to a very clear manual for you that explains to you without any doubt what God wants for you in your life. What we end up doing is we end up seeking wisdom elsewhere. We try to find out, well, does it, does it really match my lifestyle? Does this really work for me? God makes it very clear in his word what his will is for you. Let me give you a scripture which really helped me the first time I ever publicly spoke many years ago. I spoke in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. But let me just read the verses prior to it. Because it just, for me, had made it so clear to me what God's will is for my life. What the main course is. Verse 15, chapter 2 of 1 Peter says this. For this is the will of God. It's not really, a, it's not ambiguous. He doesn't come at it with flowery language. We're all wondering what he's saying. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. And here's the verse, 17. You want to know the will of God? Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Love the church. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor authority. There is the will of God for your life. Every decision that you have to make, put it up against that standard. Is this taking me away from God? Am I fearing man over God? Is this taking me away from the church? Is this lessening my love for the place of worship? Is this dishonoring to people? Is this dishonoring to the authority that God has given me in my life? And the Bible just time and time again builds upon those four pillars. Honor all people. Love the church. Fear God. Honor authority. Time and time again you find it. It's not difficult. It's there. But what is difficult is people constantly trying to humble themselves and make themselves obedient to the will of God. That's what's tricky. That's what's, that's, what's, that's what's difficult. Let me give you a quick understanding of just something that happened in my own life. The job that I currently have, I'm an area manager for the post office. I look after Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire. The interview that got me this job, that was the fourth time I'd applied for that job. The first time I applied for it, they offered me the job, but then circumstances changed, they took it away. The second time I applied for it, they gave me an interview, but they said no. The third time I applied for it, they just didn't even give me an interview. It was the fourth time. And I was a little bit riding on it because the job I I had at that time, there was a lot of talk of redundancy. So there was a bit of pressure going into it. A little baby hadn't been born, we had a mortgage, we still have a mortgage. There's a little bit of pressure going into this, but I knew this interview process like the back of my hand. I remember doing the presentation, standing up before them. I can't remember how long, half an hour, 45 minutes, smashed it. I knew I had. I had them laughing. I had them joking with me. I knew I was doing well. We sat down. We started having a conversation. Kept going, laughing, joking. Things were going very, very well. I knew I was getting this job. Then came a moment that had not happened before. A lady said to me, so here's what the job entails, this, that. The next thing, we expect you to work so many hours. And every now and again, we'll ask you to work Saturday and Sunday. How does that sound? I said, well, that all sounds fantastic, no problem. I says, but I'm a Christian. I trust, and God didn't say that, but I, I believe that Sunday is God's day. I can't work Sundays. And at that moment, if I'm perfectly honest, all the confidence that I had up until that point seeped away. And I thought, oh my goodness. I knew how competitive it was. I knew a lot of people had applied for that job. And I thought, oh my goodness, right. But I laid my cards on the table. I said, I can't, I can't do that. I worked six days for you, no problem. But the seventh day, Sunday, it's God's day. I'm going to church. The lady said to me, well, I appreciate your honesty. That's very good of you. And what I had done that verse which I quoted to you, I had honored her. I had honored the authority. 
I'd made it clear to them. I was honest with them. I didn't get the job and then later on turn around and say, well, I can't do that. I was, I was honorable to them. I loved church. I proved that I loved church. And I feared God. Now I was sweating, thinking, right, am I going to or am I not going to get this job? And the providence of God and the goodness of God, by the grace of God, I was given that job. I honored God. And brothers and sisters, it's clear what the will of God is. If you had asked me prior to that, that interview, is the will of God for you to have that job? I would have said yes. I'm sure of it. But in that moment, when you make that decision, when you have to say that, it's very uncertain. When push comes to shove. And that's the tricky part, brothers and sisters. Not working out what God's will is. The tricky part is submitting yourself to the will of God. Not being carnal. And what this does, brothers and sisters, is that as a result of honoring God, of walking in the will of God, and being led by the Spirit, you are able to manage the situations that this world throws at you. If you are a fledgling Christian, and you have been, and still are for 10 years into the faith, then when the situations arise, your children come to you with a problem, or your grandchildren come to you with a or a friend comes to you with a problem, or just circumstances take over you in life, if you're a fledgling Christian, oh, you know the Lord saved you, but you haven't got the spiritual understanding to speak into the problem situation that you find yourself in. And you can't manage what is, going to, what is happening in your life because you've been carnal, you haven't been spiritual. You are still fleshy. And this is my third and final point. Verse three. For you are still carnal. But where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? And this is what Paul puts it all down to. He says, you know, I've given you the milk. You know the Lord. You know you've got to be spiritual in the way that you think about things, but you've chosen carnal. Now, as a result, as the years roll on, problems arise, and envy takes hold. Envy becomes in, gets in. Strife comes as a result of that. And there's divisions within the house of God. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. I am of Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 13, says this, and it really speaks into the situation at Corinth. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Later on, as you read the, the letter to the Corinthian church, you discover they, they struggle with drink. They get drunk. They act in an uncomely manner. It goes on to say in Romans 13, 13, not in lewdness and lust. You find that the church at Corinth, because of their carnality, they fall into sexual sin. They give in to the temptations of the flesh. And then finally he says, not in strife and envy. Division comes because carnal Christians 
who may have been many years in the faith and people look up to them because they've been many years in the faith, but they're still fledgling Christians, they're still fleshy. Envy grows, strife grows, and they don't hold the things of God, the unparalleled wisdom of God, which is there for them. And so I urge you, verse 14 of chapter 13 of Romans says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is what we need to do. And there is the challenge that goes out to you. The end of this, or the end of verse four, it says this, but when one says, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And that is the challenge of God's word to your soul this morning. Are you not carnal? That is the word of God. Let's have a look at the application of this. The final slide. The gospel urges us to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and remember what we were, remember what we are now in Christ and to grow in that grace, grow in the truth of what God has done for us, grow into the the beautiful truths which the word of God gives us. Think spiritually, think on things above, not on things below and grow, brothers and sisters, to protect yourself, protect your families, protect this church. Be spiritual. Fear God. Love the brotherhood. Honor all people. Honor authority, the King. Amen and amen. We're going to close with a beautiful hymn that reminds us time and time and time again It's not I, but through Christ and me.
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen and amen. seated and we'll sing it is finished the Messiah dies and as we sing it sing it with a heart full of praise to our Saviour